Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It is the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. And I hope you are enjoyably listening to this with no issues on your end, my friends. We were, uh, you know, before we started recording, we were trying to do a different setup than usual, which I'm totally not going to blame on our usual producer, Adam, who had to miss today. So a little bit of blame for him. Uh, Our substitute producer, Michael, seems like a great guy. But, you know, just saying, he's having us try to do on a new system. A little bit of blame for him. And then when I try to do my recording, it was like weird alien sounds. So hopefully you guys aren't getting any of that. And, um, you know, you, you take it up. You take it up with them if you've got an issue. And don't don't take it out on our uh, ratings and reviews. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Brett Taylor. Got uh, Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney here. We are going to talk. Uh, I, you know what? I almost feel like we need a, um, a little bit of a warning at the outset to be like, okay, Cubs fans, it's a very interesting topic, but it is a potentially incendiary topic that will um, may, may generate in you some feelings and frustration about the last three plus years. Uh, Sahadev and Patrick wrote a very interesting piece at The Athletic, part of a series um, that the site is doing that's essentially a, a what if, you know, sort of a look back at the various organizations of baseball and what if this had happened differently or what if this decision had been made differently and a question for you guys so I'll let you guys explain what you did and then we'll talk about it but I one thing at the top I was curious about like was it supposed to just be like one thing and you guys couldn't settle on just one thing because you, you came up with three ultimately or is that like you wanted to come up with three different things to sort of, because obviously even post world series, win, the Cubs, you know, like near term history is replete with moments of like, Oh, what if they had just done that? Or, Oh, what about that decision? So like, I'm just wondering if it was too hard to, to narrow it down or if it was like, Oh, you know, we want to come up with a lot of stuff. The way I remember it is it was kind of just like a, you know, Patrick and I talked about, there are just various things that we've talked about over the years uh, between each other. And then uh, along with all the conversations we've had with past and present front office members. Uh, and and those three kind of stuck out in our minds, especially recently, we've had a lot of t- conversations with people about these things. And it, and I think those three just really stuck out. I think it, it, it kind of crystallized for Patrick when he heard me talking with uh Carig and McCullough on their podcast uh, and and I think I was talking about you know what went maybe they they asked uh, as as national writers what what went wrong after 2016 since everyone kind of hyped that as you know a potential you know multiple world series at least multiple world series appearances and and kind of a more of an upward trajectory than we've seen and and some of the things that I mentioned uh, kind of uh, made Patrick mind kind of go and and it you know it's i think that's how most of our combo pieces go someone says something and the other person is like wait you're on to something there let's go this direction and and we both help each other focus an idea and that's that's kind of where it came from nice um so do you guys do you guys want to set up what you know it's again it's like if you had the do-overs for the cubs I'll let I, I'm almost filling space here for a moment so that the listener can be turning <laughs> it over in their own head like if they haven't read the article yet like oh yeah what would I do differently and I suspect 
Um, maybe I'm going to say one real quick because I have a broader thought after, but I'm going to say one that I think is probably coming to a lot of people's minds that you guys didn't actually hang on. You did mention it, but I would bet you anything if you asked a lot of Cubs fans right now, you know, looking back over the last three and a half years in particular, you know, what would you do differently or what would you do over if you had a chance or what went wrong? And I think a lot of people would specifically point to the Jose Quintana trade and say, just don't do it. That's not the deal to make. Not at that time, not for that player, not with those pieces. And again, we'll get into where you guys went a little differently in 2017, which I, I liked. I dig, I dig what you, what you did there, but uh, I just want to point that out to folks that that's where my head went first and it was interesting that it was not one of the three that you guys were thinking about. Well, I just think that trade, I understood it at the time. I understand it in retrospect. I don't think any, I did not get a lot of uh, blowback at the time of people being like, how could they do this? You know, maybe Dylan Cease, you know, stays healthy and figures it out in the majors and is a good reliever, what, like five, six years after uh, the trade happens. And I think people you know, have, uh, you know, at times underestimated Jose Quintana and kind of forgotten uh, how much that team needed him at that moment. Um, it wasn't about, you know, Eloy Jimenez, you know, if the NHL, uh, if the NL gets a DH, you know, in 2022 and what he could do then, I think this is the, these are the moves that teams make. And obviously we've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum. Uh, but I, you know, I felt that I had never really gotten like great answers on the Verlander stuff. Um, and I think Sahade felt the same way of, we kind of had a, a sense of what they were doing, uh, the conversations uh, they were having. And this was something that, you know, they really talked round and round and they were, uh, you know, pretty close or, you know, they uh, certainly had an understanding of what it would take to get it done. And I, I'm not sure anyone would have expected Verlander to be this good for this long. And it's un obviously we'll never know if it would have happened in Chicago. But to me, that was more, um, of one where I think people in the organization look back to it as like, yeah, that's a turning point. I think they've all, you know, kind of made their peace with the Quintana deal. They knew why they were doing it. They were surprised the White Sox were willing to do it. I think that's more of like a talk radio type one, but you know, Verlander to me was a real kind of, you know, pivot point. And there were these, you know, really, you know, serious conversations of them going round and round of should we shouldn't we and ultimately they decided no obviously I think when you look back on that it's I know it's just a constant debate with Cubs fans and the Quintana deal just that was something that I, I mean I just really can't it's hard to emphasize uh too much just just how excited that front office was to pull off that deal they I mean it, Brett knows because he, he wrote about it. He writes about the steam daily. They had been desperate for that type of pitcher for years, for years. It was number one priority. Find a controllable pitcher who's under 30, 
that isn't going to break the bank, you know, money-wise, contract-wise, and, and you know, will be around for a few years that you can plug in at the number two or number three spot. Quintana hasn't lived up to what he was. But, I mean, there's so much that you, you look at his history, you look at his age. He was, I mean, value-wise, he probably would have cost more a year before than what they got him at. And it was very easy to tell, to, to convince, a, a, you know, a scout, an onlooker, anyone that said, hmm, he looks a little off for the first half of 2017. Oh, wait, his spring training was completely messed up, messed up because of the World Baseball Classic. And again, go look at what he did in the World Baseball Classic that year as well. Uh, and we have evidence to say that, OK, or, you know, we there were suggestions that, OK, this is why he's off. And then his second half, I believe he just performed like he always does. It's a 118 ERA plus with the Cubs in the second half of 2017. That's basically what he had been for his career. I, I just think it's, it's a really I mean, if you just didn't like the deal at the time because you wanted someone more impactful, I kind of get that. But this was this was the guy that they needed. They were desperate for, and they didn't think they had a chance for him because the White Sox just weren't going to deal with them. And then when the White Sox reached out, they were a little surprised, and they quickly Theo quickly acted and said, "Okay, this is the deal. We need to make it happen." I personally will never rip them for that. I, I get it. I understand where it's coming from. It looks bad now, but at the time. In context, it made so much sense, and it made all the sense in the world. And Verlander was such a huge risk, and that's what I, we kind of laid out. And I understand, like, we've talked to a lot of people to really understand this process uh, that they went through, and there was a ton of risk. He wasn't guaranteed to be, you know, top three Cy Young back-to-back -back seasons. It just it wasn't, like, this is the... You know, you talk about uh, projections and present uh, percentiles of this is the 99th percentile, right? This is like what happens uh, in the extreme scenario. It happened. And, and you give credit to the Astros while also wondering now that we have all this information about what the Astros do. Also wondering what the heck was going on, too. Like we th there's a lot of stuff that's involved in this. And to just simplify it as Verlander's better than Quintana now. We should have known that Verlander, yes, his history was also better than uh, Quintana's at the time, but he was also much older on a much bigger contract, and we'd seen we'd seen what happens if his velocity dips. Uh, somehow it went up. You know, it's going up as he goes into his mid-30s, which is not the normal thing. How do you expect that? How do you know that that's going to happen? That's a really tough pill to swallow for me. Why, if I was in that room, I would have pushed for that deal because this was a guy because you're talking about intangibles and, and stuff like that, that a guy like John Lester uh, brings a guy like John Lackey uh, brought to the, those teams, things that they were looking for and the chance that you catch lightning in a bottle. But I also understand that they're not, you know, I'm not thinking about the money as much and they have to that like as much as fans and all of us want to just dismiss that, that has to be a factor for them because ownership just isn't going to say oh okay yeah you're right you do have unlimited funds now because we just you know that's how we want to push things they knew they didn't have unlimited funds it was going to uh it was going to you know really restrict uh movement in the future so you had to you had to really believe that this was the guy uh to you know you had to really trust that he was going to turn into what he did what he ended up uh being and that was that was really hard to project well let me 
interject here to say, I mean, first of all, I agree with everything you said about the, you know, we always, you know, you evaluate deals at the time that they're made, you know, how does it look on its face as at the time that it's made? Uh, and then you, you do evaluate it in hindsight. Cause of course the, the point of being a successful front office is to be able to make moves that turn out good in the long run. Right. So I, I kind of wear both those hats to say with respect to the Quintana trade, I loved it. I absolutely loved it because exactly the reason you said that was a guy that they needed. He was just critically underrated for so many years. He was going to be a cost controlled presence who, by the way, when you talk about all the butterfly wings, it was the addition of Quintana and the failure to trade for Verlander that probably made signing you Darvish possible. And so that's sort of a fascinating way that the, these three things are connected. But I do, you know, the, the flip side is that, um, I am less I mean I'm less likely to look at the the lack of the Verlander trade and say ah oh, man they should have that that was a whiff that was a whiff I was endorsing it at the time I did recognize the financial concerns at the time but I think that you know it isn't just that he was older uh we had seen that the performance was dipping it was that the performance was dipping in in tandem with a really significant velocity decline and you know, there was just no reasonable way that you could know with confidence, yeah, get him in a pennant race and maybe whatever, but like to take on whatever it was, 50, 60 million left on the deal and know and know that that meant you were going to be precluded from doing anything like they ultimately did that off season. Um, I don't know. I give way more of a pass on that one, even in hindsight, because I just, I don't know, part of me doesn't believe that the uh, what the Astros were doing for pitchers would have been the same things what the Cubs were doing for pitchers. Like, I just, I don't think that this version of Verlander happens with the Cubs anyway. Um, whereas with the Quintana trade, I do look back and I think not so much about like what Dylan Cease could have been with the Cubs or what even Eloy Jimenez could have been with the Cubs. Cause I'm not even sure what the fit is for Eloy with the Cubs, even though I believe in the bat. Um, I think it's more about just that, that as, as trade assets, you think about, how they could have potentially operated differently in the years that came if they hadn't made that particular trade. And so again, I think fair to evaluate with hindsight and say that I just, I think it was a miss. I think that deal was a miss. And, but whereas to look back with hindsight on Verlander, and I'm not saying you guys say this, but I actually feel like I don't say that one was a miss because I'm like, mm, just can't say with confidence he would have been even close to this guy with the Cubs. Yeah, I think Brett, going back to your initial intro here of like how how or why we structured it this way, and I don't know if it came across in the piece, but to me the Quintana deal stings because they've had absolutely no sort of backfill in terms of pitching prospects, and we've seen kind of these issues uh, in the draft and you know player development side, and you know I think um, you know, this whole idea of a do over, like they've totally embrace that they've already you know fully admitted uh these flaws in the system and the need to change them and that's what 2020 uh was supposed to be until kind of the world uh, as we knew it stopped to exist but uh, i think the other side too is just um you know quintana i think when he came over you know everyone thought well wow now he's gonna have like this the greatest defense of all time behind him and he's gonna have all these great young hitters putting up 
tons of runs for him because offensive support and kind of uh, you know defensive performance behind him had been issues with the White Sox, and we have not uh, seen that obviously. And I think some of that you know ties back to uh, you know Joe Madden. You know he certainly deserved a lot of credit uh, up front. He's a Hall of Fame manager, um, just a Chicago legend. But you know Quintana, you know was perfect for that moment in 2017 you know the brewers were going really hard after him as well and i think that was you know as the cubs were trying to build something that was important to get back to the playoffs and he you know matched up with kershaw in dodger stadium he matched up with uh either scherzer or strasburg uh against washington in the first round of the playoffs like you know that's important but i think you know you can't really just isolate you know one of these you know, decision just kind of all of it, um, you know, put together. And this was cut from the story, but, um, you know, I think people have kind of forgotten like how good that team was. Maybe not, you know, Cubs fans, but kind of people, you know, across baseball are fans, you know, kind of rolling their eyes when we talk about the Cubs way. But I mean, that World Series roster had nine position players between the ages of 22 and 27. And the earliest any of them, you know, could become a free agent wasn't until after the 2021 season. Plus, they had their entire 2016 starting rotation under club control for the next season, plus Mike Montgomery. So I think they really kind of had unlimited, almost unlimited possibilities here. They had so many directions they could go, and they chose a path that you know, is still part of the greatest run in franchise history, but still, I think, leaves you know, fans, the media, even themselves wondering, you know, what more could we have done? What could we have done differently? It's not uh, completely satisfying from their end. So to that end, um, I think this this ties to it too because it's that 2017 season. And as we talk about the post-World Series transition um, and some of the things that the Cubs were trying to remedy this year, um, you know, you guys got into the draft that year, which, you know, is, is really notable, the, the 2017 draft, because um, the Cubs used two first rounders on um, young pitchers. And that's not something that they had done historically in the, under this front office in the you know first round. And uh, obviously the selections haven't yet panned out although one one has already moved on in trade and I think that's an interesting comment not only on because of the guys they could have selected um, and you guys can get into that but also just in general the reminder that in the post World Series period for the Cubs there was clearly um, you know I, I know that there's this resistance to use the word complacency so I guess I won't I'll say it but then I won't use it um, there was a not enough continued innovation um, from what the Cubs were doing, particularly uh, in the development space. And so certainly if you think that perhaps the seeds of that were sown in 2017, you know, you look at that draft where it's like two, you know, late, albeit late first rounders used on young pitching, which is what they need. And, and it, you know, here we are three years later and it's still sort of like, Ah, you know, could still really use some young pitching percolating up. Um, that underscores a do-over, which would be to have just 
somehow not taken the foot off the gas in trying to stay ahead of or at least with the top tier organizations when it comes to player development because that that just clearly didn't happen yeah this was i mean this was right when i think they started to make a shift with their philosophy so they understood they obviously recognized changes need to be made the drastic changes weren't weren't coming obviously just yet uh and and i think part of why these picks were made brendan little and alex lang is because they were in kind of like a transition period and and they hadn't fully integrated everything so it was a perfect system and you know and and i use perfect that's not fair there's never a perfect system but you want uh uh, you know R&D and the scouting and the amateur scouts and, and and player development to be working kind of in harmony that's kind of how this works now right these uh, in theory that's how it should move forward uh, under Dan Kantrovitz that's how uh, other teams run it that are you know the Dodgers the Yankees these teams that uh, get all the praise right now uh, Seattle is doing a brilliant job with it right now I think I think it's 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 a little unfair for us to to kind of go back and look at draft the draft and, and really hammer them and we didn't obviously I, I don't think uh, we had uh, had any intention of trying to hammer them for this because you look at that draft and yeah there's there's two picks they could have they could have picked Nate Pearson and Jeter Downs right and they, they that would have been uh, arguably one of their best drafts you know in recent memory right uh, but a lot of other teams passed on those guys and picked and made dreadful picks i mean guys that just are going nowhere guys that have that have been suspended that everyone knew were were, were, you know like had issues off the field issues and guys are getting suspended guys are breaking down guys didn't sign because of injury so they're it could have been worse than what it was just it it stings when you see brandon little and nate pearson two guys that were kind of you know juco guys that weren't really hyped but one guy is now a top you know, 10 prospect. Another guy is basically a non-prospect. It's so, so it's, it's a point in time when the Cubs were supposed to be kind of transitioning and, and uh, embracing new philosophies with, uh, with how they look at pitchers. And they just didn't, they didn't hit. They were pretty big misses. I mean, you can, I, I think it's fair to say you got value for Lang the two months that they got of Castellanos is undeniable obviously you know they didn't make the playoffs so it it doesn't matter as much but but they got a ton of value for lang i'm not sure if lang will ever be as valuable as he was as a piece to get uh, a a bat that ended up really moving the needle for the cubs but it's it's just i think it, it speaks to the greater issue the the bigger issue of this system has no pitching and and i think if if you were to distill uh the issues and and Patrick and I have written about this. Pat Brett's written about it plenty, but you distill the issues post twenty sixteen or just the entire era. It's the it's the inability to develop pitching, right? All of this that we're talking about, whether it's Verlander, Quintana, any of it, uh, the draft, it, it all comes down to if the Cubs could develop a, a handful of pitchers over the past decade, if they had just been able to do that, we wouldn't be having these discussions. We wouldn't be talking about money misspent because you wouldn't have to force some of these signings. You wouldn't be stressing about uh, should they have traded uh, Quintana uh, or traded for Quintana? Should they have traded for Verlander? Because so many other you know so many issues would have been solved that you wouldn't have to force those types of moves 
and and uh, trade from areas of depth to shore up that area because it would have been an area that you didn't need to shore up, right? Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's these series of smaller decisions or kind of behind the scenes calculations. It wasn't like the Cubs, you know, let Greg Maddox walk uh, as a free agent and all of a sudden, you know, he's just racking up Cy Young awards and in the playoffs every year and, you know, embarking on a hall of fame career i mean the cubs haven't been burned by dexter fowler walking away that they haven't you know fully replaced him he hasn't been the same player for the cardinals same with jake arietta you know they certainly have gotten you know the the best moments uh of his career it's gonna be really hard to replicate that uh with the phillies and beyond and yeah i mean we're not you know draft experts by any means even the best teams uh, in the majors get it wrong uh, a lot <clears throat> there are, are the bottom half of that first round is not exactly uh, overwhelmingly impressive but um you know if they didn't pick little they could have picked some other bad player you know what i mean <laughs> but it's just it'll be really interesting to watch nate pearson um you know a guy who all of a sudden if you put him uh, you know, at AAA Iowa in the second half of last year and get people wondering, you know, all the service time calculations about, you know, when he'd be able to come up uh, this year. I think all of a sudden that, you know, kind of, I think, Brett, you've described it as like the cliff that they might fall off of after 2021 and how that fear has certainly kind of gripped the entire organization and formed all of these decisions that they're making if you had a piece like that, and even if pitchers do, you know, break down and are not quite as uh, sturdy as position players when you're playing for the future, um, it would be, you know, nice to see, you know, a guy who's like six foot six and throws a hundred miles an hour uh, to put that uh, up on your, you know, whiteboard. Well, and I guess I'll, I this is like it's not off topic because we're talking about drafting and sort of the decisions that go into that and then the post 2016 era and obviously the Cubs did then uh, use uh, a very high draft pick this past year on Ryan Jensen uh, you know hard throwing lesser scouted guy that they really believe in that they were among the few teams that uh, saw a guy that could stick in the rotation and I think that you know it's true of a lot of prospects in the system right now but like certainly a guy like Jensen I feel like I have wanted to watch his progress this year as much as anybody because it's like he is a guy that the Cubs took once they were already transitioning into this mode. So like Sahadev mentioned, the philosophy on drafting changed a couple years earlier. You know, this idea that the Cubs had historically focused on sort of higher floor, meet a bunch of very stringent metrics, um, and then the thinking is that, uh, you know, the, the steadiness of certain pitchers would allow some to become major league regulars. And what we instead saw was is actually a lot of guys that had a lot of minor league success. And then because they didn't really have the sort of elite one or two things, they kind of stalled out as they got to double AA, A, triple A. And it just there wasn't that transition to the big leagues. And you saw the philosophy more so now of like kind of drafting for some elite tools or elite uh, spin or elite velocity and then figuring that perhaps you can massage the rest. And uh, now 
that was the change in philosophy that we saw several years ago. But then you're pairing it with an overhaul of the development system uh, over the past year and a half. We've seen that. And so Jensen was really the first guy that, that the Cubs used a whole lot of capital on. You know, that, that first round pick is very, very valuable, you know, real estate. They used it on him to bring him into this system when he's a guy who really embodies more so what they were trying to do now. This guy is... Okay, he's got the very live fastball, but he's a little bit smaller. Got a fantastic slider, but that's really it. You know, and it's like, okay, a, a smaller two-pitch guy, you know, projected second, third rounder because everybody's thinking future reliever, and the Cubs are taking this swing that they can make him a starter. And, I mean, I was really stoked to see what this year, his first full pro year, was going to look like because, again, he he very much fits what they've been trying to do. And it's like, if you can't make it work with him, well then shoot, you're back to the drawing board again. And I know that frankly, we're going to have to give a lot of leeway to all organizations this year because of what has happened. Um, and that's a bummer. Cause I think that however this plays out, now we're going to look back and always be able to caveat it and say, well, you know, remember what happened in 2020. Um, so yeah, you look back at 2017. Um, I think you guys, really nailed it. I don't think you were being unfair about the draft at all. It was just sort of a reflection on what could have been, what wasn't. And now we sort of moving forward. It's like, okay, they're kind of going that route now. And I just, I'm really interested to see it play out. And I hope, I don't know, we've talked about this before. And again, it's tangential a little bit, but it's related. I hope there is some kind of minor league process this year. I think we know that uh, a traditional minor league season is already out the door. Um, I think even a non-traditional minor league season is probably out the door this year, but that doesn't mean that there won't be some kind of competitive environment available later in the year to um, minor league players. And so I do hope that happens. And I hope that we as fans have access to like consuming some of that for, you know, this reason among others. It's like just to kind of want to see how some of these guys are doing. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly there because that's something that, I mean, I talk about this a lot, but that's my one of my favorite things to do is to dig into that stuff. How, why, why are pitchers succeeding? Why are they failing? What, what's happening? How is this? How is this all working? Uh, whether it's uh, you know talking directly to the pitcher and breaking down their mechanics, or talking to you know Craig Breslow and understanding what he's what he and his staff are doing to maximize someone's value, that's some of the most intriguing stuff going on in the game right now. And the fact that the Cubs were about to really embark upon that uh, that part of the game finally <laughs> they'd embraced it and and they had uh, one of the brightest minds in the game running their pitching development right now uh, that 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 we're kind of have to hold off on that it, who for who knows how long it is frustrating and uh, I agree I really want to see what they can do with Ryan Jensen and about a dozen other pitchers who have just great stuff. But, you know, maybe maybe a slight tweak here or there make it more than just stuff and, and it, it turns into results. Uh, I one of the most frustrating things is when you think about what what are we missing as far as uh, that moment where it clicks for someone? How many of those moments have, have we missed out on in the past couple months? Right. Uh, that random backfield moment where uh an instructor and a pitcher or a hitter are working together and something clicks mentally something clicks physically and and everyone sees it and and the player feels it those are really special moments obviously we're not a part of those moments but 
those things happen and and it sucks that that it, it, we're missing out on that right now because i i love hearing about it and it, it's really fascinating to see uh you know years from now that oh hear about yeah i remember working on that backfield when when he said this and it clicked for me mentally and then i could feel it in my hands and my swing changed and the ball was coming off my bat you know all those great stories they're, they're not happening right now so it's a little it's a it's a it sucks i guess it's the simplest way to put it yeah we all know you'd rather be sheltering in place at the pitch lab. It's okay. <laughs> we, we, we can speak freely. 100%. Yes. Uh, well, guys, uh, we might leave it there. I, you also got into, um, and I think this is fascinating for folks to read, because, again, I think you, you put it really well, that the idea that if the Cubs knew in large part that they would be moving on from Joe Madden, uh, sooner rather than later by by this time, you know, year and a half ago. Um, why not just let him go after 2018 and start your transition instead of playing out the string? And um, I think, like you guys said, we can't know what would have been different in 2019 with a new voice. Like, it might have been nothing. There might have been no difference at all. Um, and it might and it might have been just such an ugly, an ugly period of transition where like a lot of fans don't understand and heck we saw just this past off season there was a little bit of a little bit of back and forth conversation about like what happened in that last year between joe madden and the front office and like it you know wasn't too salacious but it was a little bit of back and forth and so who knows what that would have looked like if they'd made the transition a year earlier but you do think about it as a, an inflection point because it was um instead of it being one moment in time when you knew change was coming, it was like a whole year where you were like, mm, yeah, big, big change is coming. So I'd encourage folks, uh, head over to the athletic and uh, check out, I mean, check out all the Cubs coverage, all the baseball coverage, but, uh, definitely read what Sahadev and Patrick wrote about this, uh, idea of, of doing some things over the last few years. And you can check it out for several other, uh, major league teams as well. So want to thank you fine folks for listening to us on this Friday afternoon and hope the weekend treats you well. Maybe get outside and into the cold. I think it's going to be pretty chilly everywhere. So that's cool. Definitely dig that in mid February or mid May. Uh, but still hope you can. We appreciate you guys listening. Give us the old rate and review. Uh, Cause you can listen to this wherever you get your podcasts, by the way, but you can also listen on the Athletic app. I'm Brett Taylor. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Thank you guys so much. We will talk to you again soon.